Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Micah Shepline. We love when he comes and visits. So make sure you give this podcast a listen. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. talk today, and I guess the title of what I want to talk about is, May It Be Said of Me. May it be said of me. You know, a lot of the times I think, uh, you know, uh, there's like this war of like, you know, you don't live for people, for people's approval or people's opinions. But at the same time, like, there's, like I said, a little bit of a war where like you really, you, you really don't care. But at the same time, like all of us inherently, we care a little bit about what people think or what people say. And especially, you know, we feel good when it's positive and the negative ones maybe hit a little bit harder. But, but specifically in this passage of scripture that we're going to be breaking down today, we're, we're going to be looking at a, a passage, just really a whole book. But what I'm talking about specifically is the arc of your life. May it be said of who you are and who you were how you lived your life. And you'll kind of understand a little bit more what I'm talking about as we kind of get into more of the passage of Scripture um, specifically. But I I really want to ask you the question, what words are said of you? Like if you were to go around and there was like a hidden camera and nobody knew that they were going to be like recorded and people just asked like, what are adjectives that describe who you are? What would people say? And I'm not trying to get all like negative or beat people up or anything like that. But I do believe that God, people should really be able to see God's character in your life. And if they can't describe you with anything related to godly character, that might be a mild, just a mild red flag. But more than that, what I really want to encourage you along the lines of is to really explore today as we dig in what, what, what would be said of who I am. Not just like today. Not just on your best days, not on your worst days, but at the arc of your life, what would people say of who you are? Now, before I get into that, uh, I feel like uh, there was a story I was reminded of, mainly because I watched a movie this week that had this. But um, has anybody in here ever been like actually real deal bull riding? Good. Okay, so this story is really going to land. Anyway, um, <laughs> Here's the deal. I actually have been real deal bull riding. Now, I, I tried to tell somebody at the gym that yesterday that, like, I'd been bull riding, and they, like, could not get there. Like, oh, mechanical bull, that's fun. And I'm like, no, a real one. And they're like, oh, like one that, like, like does electric mechanical. I'm like, no. Like, a, they're like, oh, a small one. I'm like, I, like, had to, like, correct them, like, four times. No, a massive bull. And, and what I want to talk about just for a second was I remember a few years ago I had a buddy who owned a small business who went to church here and he was campaigning a slogan and he wanted to get some footage of his buddies riding bulls. And so he called around and he found out that there was a place in Nuego where you could pay to ride a bull on Tuesday nights. And I remember um, I remember we he called me because I don't know why. He was like, you were one of the craziest guys I know who I could call on a Monday to ride a bull on a Tuesday. I would say that's something that may be said of me. But he calls me, he calls me and he's like, hey, you know, can we get you to ride a, a bull? And I said, okay, well, how big? And he's like, oh, this is a real bull. Like, this is cowboy, like, bull riding. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I get out of it? And he goes, well, I, I'll pay for the bull riding and I'll buy you B-dubs after. And I was like 22. I'm like, deal, right? I could die, but I get free B-dubs, which nowadays, no offense, I'm... 
B-dubs was great for a season in my life, but I also like like my intestinal wall. Um, some of you guys are like, what, what, what did he say? Don't worry about it. Um, but here's the deal. I remember back then, so we, me and a couple buddies, we pile into a car. We go out there, and genuinely, we show up at this barn in the middle of Nuevo, and there is like 100%, it is a bull riding like little practice circuit deal. And so I remember I walk up, and I'm the first one in line. And as I walk up, I remember going to the counter. And this I'll never forget because I was, like, so offended for a second. But I walk up, and I say, hey, I want to ride a bull. And she goes, great, we have three options you can choose from. And she goes, essentially, we have a beginner bull, we have an intermediate bull, and then we have an expert bull. And I'm like, sweet, I'll take the beginner one. She looks me dead in the eyes and goes, only girls ride that one. Now, immediately, I'm a little offended, and I'm like, well, I've never rode a bull before. She goes, yeah, but literally, that's only girls ride it. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the intermediate? And she says, Satan's breath. (laughs) That was the name of the bull. And immediately, red flag should have went off, Satan's breath. Like, I should have called my mom right then. She'd have prayed the demons out of that thing or whatever. But I remember, I'm like, okay, sign me up for Satan's breath. So what's funny is, is that's the intermediate bowl, which it was getting ridden kind of the most. And I don't know if this is a thing where over time, like if you ride a bowl a bunch in one night, it just gets more mad with every person. But I didn't think like that. So I wait like a half hour, 45 minutes. Finally, it's my turn. And I remember walking up and I'll never forget how wide it was. I like get on and I'm like, I'm really on a bowl right now. This is incredible. And as I'm on the bowl... The guy looks at me and he goes, hey, you're not wearing a cowboy hat. You can't ride a bull without a cowboy hat. Gives me his cowboy hat. So now I'm on a bull with a random dude's cowboy hat on in the only jeans I could find because I didn't really wear jeans back then, but they told me I needed to wear big jeans because just in case the bull stepped on me, uh, which how many of you guys know, always good advice. Like, hey, I'm going to get on a bull and might get stepped on. Great. Sounds exciting. So I remember they opened the door. And I I will never forget it. Like the first buck, it was like he kind of went forward first. So you kind of, but the second one, the back of it was so high. I like looked up and I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is impressive. And by the third, so the third one, I came forward. By the fourth one, it was, it was going down where I was like, okay, I'm sliding off to the side. And here's the thing they tell you is if you, if you're falling off the side, never get under the legs. You want to kick off of the bull as way, as far away as you can. The only problem is I didn't have any experience. So where do you think I landed? Under the legs. So I remember I hit the ground and there's like this moment, you know, in life where you have like slow motion moments where you're just like, You can just look back and everything's moving so slow and you just know what's going to happen. And I remember I'm under the legs of this bull and I'm looking up and I'm going, I'm about to get stomped on. And I remember I'm like on the ground and I roll over and as I roll over to try and get out from under this bull, both legs, boom, right down and flick my legs up. And literally the, the bull bucked so hard on my leg, it shredded a hole in my pants, almost eight inches just from the hoof mark. And I got up and it was like, like, there's such thing as a dead leg, right, where you get up and you're like, oh, that hurt. And then there's such thing as a dead leg where you're like, your leg doesn't exist anymore. So, like, I stand up and I'm, like, trying to run out and I'm just, like, dragging my leg like a wounded animal. And I get out and g- genuinely nothing bad happened other than I had a bruise. And I've played a lot of contact sports. I had a bruise for genuinely three months. 
And it was not just like, oh, a bruise this big. It was like a bruise that was like eight inches where like it pushed down and then shoved down my leg. It was incredible. But I remember getting out, and to this day, it's a fantastic story. But if you ever asked me, ever, if I would ride a bull again, I would tell you, no amount of beat-ups <laughs> could take away the fact that I lost a good pair of jeans that day. No, but, but genuinely, the reason I tell you that story is because, no offense, I feel like a lot of the times in life when we talk about the ark, right, what may be said of me, right, is that, man, if you haven't gone through it, I think most people in this room have, where it feels like you are under the legs of the bull of life, and it is just kicking it. And you feel like you've been stomped on, you feel like you've been pressed down, you feel like you've been broken down, you just feel like you can't get up and you can't keep going. And may it be said today, right, that we did get up and we continued to go and not disregarding maybe the hurt that we've walked through. And some of us, I feel like this is a good thing to say today, is it's okay if you walk a little bit with a limp. It's okay if, man, it's, it's tough to get moving fast and you're moving slow. But don't stay under the legs. Because ultimately, what I want to talk about today is a man's story who he had every excuse, man, when life kicked him to just keep staying down. And he lived his life a little bit different, and he hasn't talked about a lot. But I truly believe that for a lot of us, maybe we're in life right now, and we've been taking a kicking, and we haven't gotten out of the way. We haven't even tried to get away. We just sit there, and now it's just the condition of life is just what it is, and so we're just going with it. And so I pray today that whether this is your first time, your 1500th, or your 4,000th time here at Road to Life, is that... If that's the only thing you leave with is that you got to get away from the things that are beating you into the ground, that that's a good place to start. But essentially, the story I want to talk about is about a guy by the name of Mordecai. Now, here's the thing. I was looking back, and I, I, I kind of am a, a big chronicle, chronicler of things, and I, I genuinely cannot remember um, if I'd ever really heard a sermon on Mordecai. Why? Because if you know anything about Mordecai, his life is directly tied to Esther. Now, if you know anything about Esther, it's an incredible story, and we're kind of going to glaze over Esther a little bit more and focus more on Mordecai. Why? Because I think a lot of people don't realize this. In the Bible, sometimes we get this confused. There's some people in Scripture who we almost get roles, like, reversed on. And this is one where, like, the book of Esther, we know Esther because the book is named after her and because of the action that she took. But there is no Esther without Mordecai. And actually, if you research the narrative of the entire book, Mordecai's name is referenced more often than Esther's is, right? And what's funny, and I think this is just such a great picture, right, is that the whole book is about Esther, but really Esther never happens without the role of Mordecai. And not only that, but the, 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 gra the gravity of what goes on in this book without Mordecai's involvement, no offense, Jews in that day and age would have been wiped off the face of the planet, which essentially means who we are and what we're doing would have looked differently. And so what I want to do is I want to read, and mainly I want to focus on Mordecai's life and the arc of his life and what is said, what could be said of Mordecai and how it could be said of us too. So first off, I got to say this, Mordecai, if you're looking for a good baby name, who knows, Jack, put it in the back pocket. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, Kara, that was funny. <laughs> I made myself laugh. Anyway, Mordecai's name means warrior. Right? How many of you guys know? Good male name there. Good strong genes. Right? 
Mordecai's name means warrior. And Mordecai, actually, the first reference we have of Mordecai is found in Esther 2, 5 through 7. And what you actually find is that Mordecai is essentially in exile, which if you don't know anything about exile, is the only thing I would say that's similar would be like a refugee in today's terms, right? So he has been uprooted from his native, from where he is natively from. He's been uprooted and brought into Babylon. And so he is in a land that he knows no one, has no understanding of the culture and custom. And a lot of the times within this construct is like directly opposed to how he is supposed to live his life as a Jew. But actually, too, what we see is, right, is that he takes in Esther. Essentially, Esther is an orphan. And it's not that she's just an orphan, but it says that Mordecai's like a very distant relative. So he's not, he really didn't need to take in Esther. But ultimately, what we see about Mordecai's character is that he sees a young girl who loses both her parents. And he decides, okay, I'm going to take her in. And not only am I going to take her in and just like, Make sure she's okay, but I'm going to raise her as my own child, right? So that's found in Esther chapter 2, 5 through verse 7. But then here's where we start to get a little bit of a picture about Mordecai's life. It's in Esther 2, 21 through verse 23. It says this. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's day, gate, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to lay hands on King Erasmus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. So let's, let's add a little bit of meat to the bones here. What's happening is actually Mordecai doesn't just raise Esther, but Esther becomes this beautiful woman. And what happens is, is there's a, the king's queen, Queen Vishy, uh, Vishati is a, actually wakes up one day and just decides to just go full reckless and not listen to anything the king's saying. And so the king looks at her and goes, guess what? You're not the king and you're not the queen anymore. So essentially he kind of disavows her, literally leave, leaves her off to the side and kind of opens up this campaign to find the next queen. And it's kind of funny because like if you research what went on, he sends like people all over the land and they're trying to pick out the most beautiful women. And just to get in front of the king, there would be six months of purification rituals where you would be bathed with like sweet fragrances and your skin would be perfect and like all this stuff. And at the end of all of it, Esther comes out and she now becomes the queen. And so Mordecai's like, okay, I raised her. I got her to a place of success. And then actually uses a little bit of that leverage in this story to say, hey, somebody's trying to kill your husband. And those two people actually were. And then the king disposes of them. But then let's kind of jump ahead because what happens then is then we essentially see the king is here. Esther is here. And then the king has this guy named Haman who kind of starts coming up on the scene. And this Haman is not a good dude. He's not a good dude at all. And not only is he not a good dude, if believe it or not, he actually hates Mordecai. And so we're going to read just this passage really quick. It says this in Esther 3, 2, 2 through verse 5. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had commanded him to do so concerning him, right? So let's, let's give some clarity. The king loves Haman so much, he sends out a decree that every time people see Haman, they should bow on their faces and worship him. Now, Mordecai, as a Jew, is like, well, I ain't doing that. 
And so this isn't just a one-time thing, but as we continue reading, we find out that every time Haman's walking down the street, people are bowing, and he looks over, and there's always one dude who will not bow to him, and it's Mordecai. So let's keep reading. It says this. But Mordecai did not bow or pay homage. Verse 3, Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with fury. He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Erasmus. Think about this, right? Literally one guy just decides, I'm not going to bow to you. And then that guy gets so mad that he's like, oh, you're not going to bow to me? Well, then I'm just going to take out every single person who identifies with you. And literally the king passes a decree that on this day and at this time, if you know a Jew, you can kill him. Which... I've never seen any of these movies, but essentially it'd be like the purge type deal. And so what's, what's going on back then is like, this is one of those moments where I told the bull riding story is like, if you're naming, you're like, okay, I'm under the legs right now. Not only does this guy hate me, and actually if you look, it says that he built 50 foot tall gallows to hang him on. How many of you guys know? It's like one thing to want to hang somebody, and it's another thing to fantasize about building gallows that are so high that the person can be hung higher. I mean, what am I trying to say is that Naaman literally hates this guy to his core. And so Mordecai's having this, like, moment where he's sitting here, and, I, and he's reflecting back to kind of Esther's role, but he understands the gravity of the moment happening, right? We see, and once again, let's kind of lace the story, right? Starts out at the bottom. Mordecai is a refugee. He's somebody who essentially is uprooted and completely transplanted. He takes in Esther and he's raising this orphan girl, right? Then all of a sudden, Esther becomes queen. And then as Esther becomes queen, he uh, thwarts an attack on the king's life. So he's riding high. But then Naaman gets in charge and Naaman hates him. Not only does Naaman hate him, but Naaman wants to kill him. Not only does Naaman want to just kill him, Naaman wants to kill every single person who identifies as a Jew, right? So now we're, we're back on the bottom where it's like we, kind of this life of like up and down is going on in Mordecai's life. But what happens is, and in my opinion, one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament is actually what we're about to read. And essentially Mordecai goes to Esther and he goes, hey, just so you know, Naaman's trying to kill all of us. He's trying to kill all of us. He's trying to kill me on those crazy high gallows. And he's trying to wipe out everybody else in the kingdom. And so he, he essentially is, this passage of scripture, Mordecai goes to Esther and he gives her the biggest halftime talk ever. It's Super Bowl Sunday. It was probably what Bill Belichick gave the Patriots when they were down 28-3 to to the Falcons a few years ago and pulled it out, right? He's giving this massive, massive speech of like Esther. If you don't do something, we're all dead. And it says this. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think of yourself that you are in the king's palace and that you will escape any more than any all other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And this, once again, one of the most famous passages, I believe, in the Old Testament. And who knows whether or not the kingdom... 
whether or not you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This, this, this phrase, right, for such a time as this is actually traced back to this original le- like manuscript where essentially he's looking as saying, you are queen for such a time as this to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, to go to the king on behalf of the people who could never go to the king and f- to fight for protection, safety, and salvation for your people, right? For such a time as this, Esther, this is why you're alive. Now, once again, right, Esther's like a little bit terrified because what's funny is, is I I love the arc, once again, of this story. Because the arc of the story is this, is Esther's remembered for going to the king when he wasn't expecting her, and that could result in death if you you. Do, do any of uh, study on this passage, you find that unless somebody was summoned to the king, if they showed up unannounced and he didn't want to see him, he had every right to execute him. But what's funny is the first queen, she's remembered for not going to the king when he was summoned. So one, one queen is remembered for not going and another queen is remembered for going when she wasn't invited. And, and more than that, what I think is important is, is, is that Esther stands up, she goes to the king, she, she essentially calls out Haman and Haman is hung on the gallows that Mordecai was supposed to be hung on. What happens even crazier too is that on that day that was ruled, they couldn't go back and undo it. But if you actually look at the book of Esther, it says that the king put out a decree that all Jews could band together and talk about a, a, a turn here and kill anybody they thought might kill them. It's like, it's like you walk down the street on that day and it's like, you looked at me weird. You thinking about it? All right, let's get 50 of the homies. Right? It was like, it like turned so quick where it was like, one day they're all like, we need to go hide in a canyon somewhere. We might all die. And then the king's like, actually, you guys can do that against anybody who hates you. And by anybody who hates you or wants to take your life, we just leave that up to your discernment. How many of you guys know? We don't have any enemies in here that we could ever wish that on. But at the same time, there's some people you're like, dang. Just kidding. That's, no, that's not me at all. <laughs> but here's the deal. What happens, right? Mordecai gets Esther to stand up for her people. But more than that, I want to focus on these last few moments. Because if you look at the story, Esther, after this instance, she doesn't really exist anymore in the book. There's some reference, but there's not like, and they lived happily ever after and had six kids. And it was incredible. And she had 52 palaces, right? It says that the king gave her a lot of stuff, like she became super powerful. But listen to this. Mordecai is actually referenced after this instance more. And specifically, these references, Esther 9, verse 4, For Mordecai was great in the king's house. His fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. Esther 10, 3, For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Osimus, and great among the Jews, and in favor with his kinsmen who had sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of a nation. I love that one. Leave that up there for a second. He was great among the Jews and had favor. But here's the deal. A lot of us, maybe we, we wonder, how do, you, how do you have favor? How do people look at you and say these things of you, right? But look at that last one. He sought the good of his people and spoke the welfare of his nation, Right? That's a, that's a good line right there. If you want something to be said of you, I pray that it's you sought the good of people and you spoke for the welfare of the nation, right? That's a great, great line. But think about this, though, right? We're looking at Mordecai's life, and actually this is the, one of the very last chapters of the, book, of the book of Esther. 
And more than that, though, this is kind of where I'm getting at, is that Mordecai's life was like not this like godly, like just ascent to the holiness. He never like got to this point where it was just like, man, he just was, I mean, he was divine, like walked around with an angelic glow and had the perfect robes and people thought he might have been Jesus like no it was this up and down all over like one day he's loved by the king the next day the king's decreeing to kill him and every single person associated with him right these this is kind of the the up and down and kind of topsy-turvy thing but when we look at the end of his life right what's said of him I think it's important to remember, right, those ups and downs, but at the same time to remember the significance of him staying steady with the Lord. I even loved the passage of scripture where he said, listen, if you don't do it, Esther, there will be something that comes good on behalf of you, right? You may not be the one who brings about the salvation and the saving grace, but there's going to be somebody who does, and it may not be credited to you, but pretty much I trust God to get stuff done. But what I wanted to do briefly with my last time is just ask us, give us a quick little Mordecai test. All right? And the Mordecai test is this. Do I care more of others than myself? That's the first one. Do I care more of others than I do myself? If we remember, what is the starting place of Mordecai's life? Taking in Esther, whom he didn't have any right or any reason to. He just did it. And not only did he take her in, but it says that he literally raises her in the ways of the Lord. And to the point where when that guy's looking around for beautiful women, Esther was the one that was chosen. Right? Do I care about more people, others more than myself? I think that's Mordecai's story. Even as we read those last few passages of scripture, what did they say, right? He cared about the welfare of his nation. He spoke good of people. The second one, do I give others credit and help hold up others? Think about this for a second. I love this one because if you think about it, as we just found out, if you couldn't tell, I just like pretty much paraphrased an entire book of the Bible for you guys in uh, 26 minutes, which I think is pretty impressive. But if we, if we think about it like this, I think that the book of Esther has more of a right to be named more, the book of Mordecai than, in my opinion, any other book in the Bible, right? If you're going to name this book Esther, you, you, you can't name the book Esther without absolutely knowing everything about Mordecai's life. We know more about Mordecai than we do about Esther. Isn't that just such a legacy to leave, though, right? To give credit and to hold others up above yourself. Mordecai literally had every right for all of that book to be remembered for him. But what do we remember it for? We remember it for Esther. How many sermons have you heard on Esther and how many have you heard on Mordecai? Right? Do I give credit and help hold others up above myself? The third thing, right? When I'm dealt a tough hand, can I continue to go forward and trust God? Right? He was in exile, uprooted from his land. Right? How many of you guys know, like, it's getting back to him, like, hey, they're building 50-foot-tall gallows for you. Hey, oh, and by the way, not only are they trying to kill you, they're trying to kill every Jew just because you wouldn't bow down for five seconds, man. Just suck it up and bow. Right? I'm not going to lie. If I'm a Jew at that time and it gets back to me that we're all getting killed just because Naaman couldn't just, like, drop his head for a second, I might be a little frustrated. 
But essentially, once again, this is what I want to get at. When I'm, dealt a tough, when I'm dealt a tough hand, can I continue to go forward and trust God? Once again, I think that a lot of us in this room, we carry the wounds of being under the legs of life and maybe feeling stomped on and feeling like we can't stand. But for some of us, once again, I want to demystify the fact that going forward doesn't mean going fast. Going forward doesn't mean taking ground in huge swaths of steps. Going forward can just be one step and then waiting for the strength to take another and then waiting for the strength to take another and another and another. Fourth one, do you know that you're second place in this world? Can we throw up that last passage, Esther 10, verse 3? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Erasmus. I love that that's like remembered, right? Is that no matter how he high he climbed, he was still second. And I'm going to say this. I think maybe there's some people in this room that you've climbed extremely high and you've done very well in your field and you're doing super well in your job. And in some of us, maybe we don't even really have a boss. All we, we kind of almost answer to ourselves. But don't ever forget that you're still second. Because a lot of us, especially in this country, it's so easy for us to almost look at our lives like we're not second to anyone, we're not second to anything, and we never really submit or come underneath anything. And today, what I wanted to focus on, right, is Mordecai's life. But Mordecai, in the last verse ever written about him, he was second. May it be said of you that we were okay being second to Jesus. We were okay being second to his word. We were okay being second to who he called us to be rather than maybe who we wanted to be. May it be said of us that we were okay. And see, a lot of us, once again, is the problem we face with following God is maybe we've never had the moment where we just said, God, I'm second to whatever you want. I put you first. I put you first in my family. I put you first in my career. I put you first in my finances. I put you first in my relationships. I put you first, God. Because once again, Mordecai's life the last verse we have about him, he's second. Now, there's a lot of good that's coming in here, right? Sought the good of his people, spoke for the good of the welfare of his nation, but guess what? He was still second. And see, a lot of us, maybe we think we can't do the things we want if we're second to God, and I'm gonna say this, is if, if it's up against us doing what we want rather than following who God wants us to become, I'd much rather be who Jesus wants me to be than whatever I want. And so this last one, do I love those who I have no reason to love? Because what we see, the common arc of Mordecai's life, first he takes in Esther, and Esther is a distant, distant relative, but also he seeks the welfare of his nation. He speaks the good of others. And a lot of the times in this day and age, it almost feels like we have every reason to love the people who are closest to us, who are most like us, who identify like we identify, who meet the standards that we have, but it's a lot harder to love those who are different. But this is the Mordecai test, right? May it be said of me, is that truly we followed this example because I believe, in my honest opinion, I've, I've preached a lot, a lot of sermons over the years. I've never preached once on Mordecai. And I was going through this book and I was just shocked at how many references we found 
I found of Mordecai. And then the reason this sermon came about is because as I was looking at these references, I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, do you think there would be an Esther without Mordecai? And I remember sitting back in my office and I said, man, that's no. There would have been no Esther without Mordecai. Without the sacrifice, without the servanthood, without the second place, without the I'm going to promote you and put you up above myself. See, Esther's, the book of Esther should not be called Esther. It should be called Mordecai. But if you were to ask Mordecai, he'd have said, no, it should be Esther. Because that's the man he was. And I pray today that the men and the women that we are, are those who can follow the model of who he was. So what I want to do, let's all stand up. And I'm just going to do a quick repeat after me prayer, all of us. And it's once again, like a, we're like paraphrasing this entire book into a prayer to be said over us. So can we say this together? Can we say this? May it be said of me. Okay, we're going to need one more of those. This is not like an optional thing. This is like, we'll, we'll do it till, you know, it's loud enough. May it be said of me that I care for others more than myself that I give others credit and seek their well-being above mine, that when life is hard, I still trust and follow Jesus, that I am second and I place God first, and that I love those that I have no reason to love. Oh God, may it be said of me. Father, I pray right now, God, as we go into a time of worship, that maybe those who they evaluate their lives and say, man, I don't really know what's being said of me right now, or I know the things that are being said of me and they're not positive, Father, that this would just be that moment where we decide to maybe roll out from under the legs of a life that's been just pounding us into the dust. God, and take a step in a new direction. God, recognizing that, Father, a life lived with you is the greatest life we could ever live. God, may this worship right now be a celebration of steps that we're taking in a new direction. A direction that points to you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name.